We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Mailbag time? Mailbag yes, time. Let's it's get into it. it. Again, throw those questions in if you haven't yet. A little MB at the front of the question. It's very easy to decipher. We appreciate you all so much. Yeah. First question from Backup. Who is your favorite number four and number 20? I'll start Gary Gray and Sierra Wood. Favorite number four of all time. I got a tie. Okay. Just off the top of my head of who's popping up as my favorite number four. So I have a tie, one offense, one defense. Defensively, I loved Corey Miner. And I I, I just I loved Corey Miner as a player. I really did. And then on offense, it's Lee Becton, man. That's, that was my dude. Lee Becton, you know, Lee Becton's going four eight yeah. running back in the history of college football, man. I, that that <laughs> dead leg that he had, man, he was lethal. Absolutely lethal. I was watching uh was it the USC game the other day and like uh, they're like reading a stat line after like four carries. He had like 130 yards in 1993 because he had like a 70 yard TD or you know, 70 yard run early in the game. But uh, the, off the top of my head, those are probably my my two my two favorites. Uh, number four, number 20, I'd have to think about a little bit. Yeah, number four, I, I I would actually probably go with Gary Gray backup. I think that we're on the same wavelength because I don't really remember Lee Beckton much. You know, like it's only highlights, Corey Miner's highlights, like those. Gary Gray is firmly in my mind, though. Like I remember Gary Gray playing corner a lot for Notre Dame and being very good. I, I, I hope in a couple of years we're talking about it being Lorenzo Styles as a difference maker for Notre Dame. I hope that, that conversation starts, but I guess it would be Gary by default. Number twenty, Sierra Woods, pretty good one. I, I did like Sierra as a football player. Benjamin Morrison's number twenty now, right? So that's a that's yeah. one that you can put into the wavelength for later Sean, on. Sean Crawford was such a great story. Just the the the, the, kid, the heart that that kid showed, right? And yep. the he had so many opportunities, but again, this just isn't worth it. This is not worth it. But well, for I him guess, to come back the way he did yeah. after multiple, like he had like three career-ending, borderline career-ending injuries for most people, for most corners, and he just kept coming back and being a quality player. Yeah. It's unreal. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Man, I almost want to open this up, Brian, because, yeah, Sean Crawford's a really good one because he was such a I – mean, you want to talk about resiliency? Like, bad, just yeah. insane what he was able to do. And to still run 4-4 something at the pro day yeah. after all the lower body injuries that man had, like, that's absolutely insane. But, I just – with Sierra Wood, Ryan, I liked him a lot as a player, but I just can't separate the human being Player from the person, yeah, I, just, I get that. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. Trust me, I get that. He was a good running back, though, man. Really talented he kid was. as a running back. He but, was, yeah. but you know, his whole the, the reason he went undrafted and all that kind of stuff, and it's all because that he he wasted his talent. I'm sorry, he yes. just did. He, he did. just did. Oh, I got one. CJ Procise is a good, nice, nice yeah, number twenty. A good number 20. That's a good yeah, one. yeah, that's a really good one. It's a it's really good one. Good one. CJ's last year was a baller, man. Was a baller. Yeah. I'm trying to think of some players in recent history that wore the wasn't Ryan Grant number four. Didn't you say so. you liked Ryan Grant a lot? Is I, I like I like Ryan Grant in, for the Green Bay Packers. He was okay. a good player for a couple of years gotcha. there. Yeah, I don't. I I, like, I remember him because that was like the Julius Jones Ryan Grant era, right? So like I remember it, but yeah, not as vividly obviously of Gary as Gary Gray. Here's a here's a number before. four that I liked as a player. Yep, recently Tavon Coney. Tavon's a good. He one. was a good yeah. number four. I, I take him over. I take him over Gary Gray as a as a player. <laughs> A host of reasons but uh yeah but uh gary gray was a guy that was yeah he was very he had a very disappointing very disappointing yes. end of his career you know we always talk about how how bad he was after that michigan game and and he just he just lost it he just lost his confidence but in 20 2010 he was a pretty good player that was a really good cornerback group in 2010 it was him robert blanton and uh uh i'm drawing up darren walls where is that a real good oh, yeah, Darren Walsh was a good player, man. Yeah, Darren Walsh 2010. Good it's 2010, yeah. excuse me. Yep. But yeah, those are those are those are some of mine. I'm sure there's some older guys that had those numbers, but uh yeah. Some some Derek Mays, somebody said Derek Mays is the best number one ever. Uh my yeah, I think I, yes. I can't think of any. Uh no, yes. I'm sorry. Nope, 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 nope. Am I missing? Todd Light. Oh, Todd Light. Okay. Todd yeah. Light. You now and you you I'm I'm forgiving you because you weren't born yet when Todd Light was done playing. I honestly didn't know what number yeah. Todd Light wore at Notre yeah. Dame. If I'm being yeah. honest, all right, yeah. I know, I got you. But but for me, who who did watch Todd Light? Yeah, he had some. Yeah. I had a oh, chance. Yeah. I was talking with him the other day, so we're gonna we're gonna get him on the show this summer. So I'm very much looking forward to doing that. But uh, yeah, that's that's the number one. There's no doubt, best number one they've had yet. Wait, number six Peele? is an easy one too. Well, I don't even Peele, know, man. I don't even know what number Gunner was at Notre Dame. He was number one. He was yeah, number one. <laughs> best number six, easy Jerome Bettis. You know, so there's there's some. Yeah. And again, when I say best ever, it's it's best ever of, of my lifetime. Number five, my, yeah. Manti. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nine, nine's on. easy. It's Jalen, obviously. So th- there's there's some interesting ones. There's some. Really we could we could do nine on both sides of the ball. Kyle Rudolph was number nine as well. So yeah, there there might be somebody else. There might be somebody else. Well, on Lewis Nix was number nine as well. I think he was nine and one. Nine M one, both of them, yeah, yeah, because he wore yeah. one his last year. Nothing better than a nose tackle wearing a single digit. Nothing yeah. better, yeah. in my opinion. Yes, yeah. Tony Rice number nine. Someone just said yes. Yeah. Can't forget about Tony Rice. Yeah, Jalen was the more talented player, but Tony Rice was obviously the more accomplished. Ooh, winner. Tom Zivikowski as well. Number nine is a pretty dang good number, man. It's a pretty dang good number. I, I, I know Notre Dame fans absolutely love Zib- Zibby, but I always felt Zibby was a tad overrated. I love Zibby, man. I love Zibby. Yeah. yeah. And Quincy, yeah. J- Jalen over Tony. I 
mental block. I wasn't going back far enough. Jalen was <laughs> one of the most talented players the Rams ever had, but he's he he didn't have the career that Tony Rice had. You're right. No, yeah. there's no doubt. Tony Rice was because every time everybody's oh Ian Book biggest winner. No, I'm like, no, he's not. Just because he played the most games doesn't make him the most winning as quarterback. Tony Rice beat more ranked teams in 2000 or 1989 alone than Ian Book beat had in his entire career at Notre Dame. So uh, yeah, he, he's there. But yeah, I, I, I mean, Zippy was a great returner and a great guy, a great kid. I mean, you know, and hard worker, left everything out there. I just always felt he was very overrated as a defensive player. Great special teams guy, but just a little overrated as a defensive because he couldn't cover. He could hit, but he just couldn't cover. So yeah. Robbie yep. Thomas, someone's talking about him yeah, in the chat. Yeah, he's not in that really? conversation. For <laughs> no, Come on, man. Again, great story Robbie. and all that, but if we're just talking about best players, he's, he's yeah, not I in know. that one for me. I know. He's I not know. in that one for me. But, uh, yeah, there's some there's some interesting ones, like um, uh, best number three of the last 20 years. Who would that be? Right. Oh, uh, man, one. you made it 20 years, so you couldn't include Joe Montana, huh? Uh, um, yeah, because I never watched Joe Montana play at Notre Dame. Sure. Number three at Notre Dame last Me, it's Michael years. Floyd. Yeah. It's I don't I can't really Michael think Floyd, of right? I can't think of anybody. I mean, Amir Carlisle was number three, but he's not in that league, right? I mean who else was three besides that? I can't really think of a ton yeah. of threes. Amir Carlisle was number three. Yeah. Yep. That's the one. Yeah, he was one. But uh that's always that iconic number. But the, the best guy to have it is in in the last, in my opinion, twenty years was a was a uh a, uh, a wide receiver. So, yep. Yeah. Arnez yep. Battle was also number three. That's another good one somebody's brought up. But Arnez just could never quite stay healthy. You know, he, yeah. he, he was number, an interesting guy. What number did Jarius Jackson wear? Was an E3? Am I wrong? Jarius was seven. Seven. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Jarius was seven. Yeah. yeah. yeah I'm, per- I'm pretty sure Jarius was seven. I think you're now right. Jarius was seven. It's just like as I get older, like sometimes I'll, I'll know something. And then if somebody, as soon as somebody questions me, I'm like, hold on a second. Yeah. Jarius was number seven. Jerry's so, yeah. was seven and was seven. Uh, Carlisle Holiday was number seven. I remember. I, I will. I will always say this, man. Jerry's was born in the wrong decade. Like I would love to see Jerry's, especially like the beginning of this last decade, like in the 2010s and 11. Yeah. Could you imagine like Jerry's Jackson and like in the the Chip Kelly Oregon offense? <laughs> yeah, like that would be so Dennis, much fun. Dennis Dixon esque. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah. He did oh man, I forgot, I, watch. I forgot my guy. I love people putting stuff in the chat. I forgot about Darius Walker, number three, man. Darius was yeah. a really good running back. Really Darius was a good back. running back, man, but I just can't forgive him from going out of bounds against USC. Yeah. I just can't I forgive that. him for that. Just can't. That. Just can't. <laughs> but he's a good guy. I've had a chance to meet uh meet Jarius Jackson. I mean uh Darius Walker. Darius Walker. Pretty good guy. Yeah. From what from my interactions with him. But yeah, I just I can't forgive him for the <laughs> For the uh, here's an interesting number seven people talking about number seven, right? I mean, a lot of people say Stefan to it, but I'm sorry, Will Fuller, Fuller was a better Fuller. college player than Stefan to it was. Stefan had that yeah. one great year at Notre Dame, Will had two great years at Notre Dame, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, it'd be Will Fuller for me as well. Be Will, and we have Audrey Estime too. So, see what Estime yep. leaves behind in a couple years, yep. be nice. Yep. Yeah, Isaiah Foskey is a really Jimmy good Clawson. number seven, yeah, Jimmy. Jimmy yeah. was a really good number seven. So there's been some good number sevens, but I, I got to go Will Fuller on that one. TJ Jones was number seven as well. He was a yep. good player. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. All right. Let's get to some more here, Ryan. Um, let's go. Uh, let's go here. David Lowe says, Brian, quick question. Sorry if, if it's unrelated to the show, but did you like Cole Mullins as a prospect? So first of all, David, uh, mailbag, it doesn't have to be related to the main topic. Our yeah. our thing that we've always ever brought up is just when we're in the middle of talking about something else and you all are like just kind of dominating the chat, talking about something that has nothing to do with the show, but mailbag is a perfect time for that kind of stuff. And so Ryan and I have a little bit of a different opinion on this one, just to vary. We both like Cole Mullins, but just to varying degrees. I've always liked Cole Mullins a little, little bit more. Yeah. Uh, I, I've, I've, I graded him as a four-star. If you go look at the, if you go look at the, the scholarship chart, I have him as a four-star player. Right now, he's more upside than he is proven potential because he's a linebacker in high school. It's like a six foot four, two hundred forty pound linebacker. He's more of a defensive end. My my question for him, Ryan, is I still don't know what position he's going to end up at because right now he's a linebacker and and he'll put his hand in the ground. Some I think Notre Dame looks at him as a viper right now, but looks at him as a power yeah. viper. 
meaning a yeah. guy that could eventually potentially outgrow the Viper yeah. position. But I've always liked him. I think he's a very underrated player. Like he's a good athlete. He's got really good natural power. Plays. I think he's. I think he's very powerful. Yeah. Very yeah. powerful kid. Yeah. I think he's a really good step off the line. Uh, you know, I. I think he might be built more like a Viper, but the game of a of a big end down he's the got road. The game of a big end, exactly. Yeah. 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 Like I want, I want him lining up against tight ends and just beating the yeah. you know what out of him. You know, right. like that's what I want him right. to do. <laughs> right. But no, I like him. I like. I mean, look, I, I'll just be real with you. Ryan knows that this is the stance I've had for a while. Yeah. Uh, I like him more than than Jacob Smith as a viper, and and I like him more than Jared as a big end. And so that's um you know we'll have more to say about this on the message board, but uh, I, I like him. I do. I do. Now there's some other Vipers that I like more than him as Vipers. Yeah. I, Malachi Williams is still, but Cole Mullins is a much higher floor than Malachi Williams. Malachi's I, be, got the higher ceiling. I'd be very curious to see if Notre Dame changes their opinion of Cole's position. If a guy like Malachi would want to come, if Cole Mullins ends up with well, Notre Dame. You I don't think I mean? they, yeah, I don't think they have to though, Ryan. I mean, because from, from the conversations that I've had, I think they kind of view him as a, as a, as what I mentioned earlier as a Viper yeah. that maybe out of that end. position. And to me, that's a guy that you can say, Hey, look, we're good at Viper unless we can get a dude. And yeah. if we get that dude, we still take that dude. Like we can, like, cause here's the thing for me, like if you get a kid like this, then you can, you can say, Hey, we're just going to basically recruit Malachi and Elijah rushing and call it a day. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. It. yeah. All due respect to Logan Thomas and, you know, Jacob Smith and, and those kind of guys, like you get Cole Mullins. All right, we're good there. We're just going to recruit the guys that we either think are elite players or have high ceilings. And then the other thing too, is if, if Malachi comes this weekend and he doesn't fall in love with it, you don't need to beg him, you, you yeah. know, you just move sure. on. Cause like I said, I think Cole Mullins right now grades out higher for me right now than Malachi. Yeah. My thing with Malachi, and we said this on Monday, Malachi's ceiling is immense it's in crazy. my opinion. Yeah. It, yeah. Very immense. And that's what I like about him. This kid's got a much higher floor, but still a very high. Ceiling. I mean, he's a four and a half star upside grade for me. Right. And well, he's, and he's like Cole the Mullins I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, I know you're talking about Cole. I, I was thinking about Malachi's ceiling versus floor conversation, Brian. He would fit great into last year's conversation, just the Viper Viper version yes. of Bubakar Traore, right? Like, Bubakar, Bubakar and, and, and Armel. Yes. Armel, yeah. Yes. Yeah. He's he, just the he, Viper he, version. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. There's a little bit of film of Cole Mullins that we'll watch as we're talking about this. But, you know, I, I think the thing about like Malachi Williams, for example, Ryan, I think, I think you nailed it, is, is he's one of those boomer bust kind of guys potentially. Yeah. The thing I like about Cole Mullins is, again, first two clips, you see him at, at end one snap just killing an offensive tackle a play after he's lining up at line, off-ball linebacker. Yep. You know, and, and those are the things that I like about him. You see, you see right there, great first step, gets low, beats guy inside. I see a guy that's got some athleticism. And the other thing, too, Ryan, is a lot of the defensive ends that Nareem is recruiting, I, I see as more big interior guys because a lot of them are a little tight-hipped. Yeah, Benedict Ume to me has to be an inside guy. He is too Agreed. tight to be an edge player. Just he he's he's Nana essentially, and Nana ideally you'd like to have a three technique. Nana just doesn't have the body to play three technique. Sure, and and you know this is a kid you're watching him right there, Ryan playing middle linebacker. This kid is fluid, and that's the thing I like about him. That's what I love about Eliza rushing. You know, I mean, not only is he an elite talent, but Eliza's fluid. And the problem, uh, one of the problems I think Notre Dame has had in recent years is is they've had some really twitchy, bursty defensive linemen like Isaiah Foskey and and like Jason Adamiola, but they were all uh, – Jason Adamiola had had a really nice burst too, but they were all really tight-hipped, yeah. which is partly why I think a lot of times they, they didn't make as many plays because they if finish. you had to make sideways, they couldn't finish as well. Yep. And the thing I like about like this kid right here is is this kid's got some fluidity. I mean, look at that. Look how fluid he is and smooth he is running around chasing that quarterback down. So that's something I like about him too, is he's, he's got a little bit of that to him as well. He's a really smooth athlete, really good football player. I, I like him, Ryan. And, and I've, I felt that way for a while. You know, that I've talked to a couple of buddies about, I just didn't think he was a kid. Notre Dame had a great shot at to be completely honest with you. That's why I didn't talk about him more. I just Georgia kid. And I just, he wasn't a guy that I thought Notre Dame was going to have a, a great shot to get, but I, I like Cole Mons a lot. And look, it, it's kind of interesting because we're having this conversation the other day, people talking about how they didn't love the Smith twins and all that kind of stuff. Well, 
you know, I, I, I think we kind of have the answer that we got from Notre Dame. Now we'll find out if, you know, they're able to close on him soon, but this is a kid I like, right? And yeah, you, know, you look at his offer list. He's got offers from almost the entire ACC, including Miami. He's got an offer from Kentucky, got an offer from USC, got an yep. offer from Stanford. It's great. It's not, a, it's not an offer list that's going to blow you away, but I think the problem is he plays in Georgia. And sometimes in Georgia, there's a couple kids that Notre Dame is looking at from Georgia that, that aren't ranked real high that I think are great players. One of them is starting to finally get some recognition. That's Isaiah Canyon, who just jumped in the top 100 for on three. Yeah. But others still him as, as, as a three-star. The problem when you're in a deep state like that, and this has been true of Florida for years, man. I mean, Big Ten teams – like remember Wisconsin used to do this all the time, right? They'd go get some 5'10 kid from Florida that was a three-star with an unimpressive offer list and turn him into an all-Big Ten corner. Remember oh, yeah. they used to do that all the time? Yep. And Georgia's kind of turned into that because there's so many more kids coming out of Georgia. Kids like Isaiah Canyon, kids like this are just getting overlooked a lot more. And I I think he's a really good football player. And I think the well, lack of the fact he doesn't necessarily have a position is a little bit a little bit of the issue there. But look at that athleticism right there. So tell me that kid can't play can't play Viper when you watch him running around in space like that. Look yeah. at that. Well, I, I also – I mean, the one thing I really like about him a lot is that he is a Mill Creek kid, right? It's nice to get a kid out of Mill Creek. I mean, they pump up some talent. I mean, it's the same school that Caleb Downs obviously right. came out of last year. So yep. it's it's very interesting. I would love to see him in person. Like, I think that would do it a lot for me. Like, I would like to see the height, the length. Like, I, well, I feel like I would just like to see him in person a little bit. It's, it's funny you say that, Ryan, because um, – I'll have a little bit more later, but I think that's what some of Notre Dame's hesitation was. Yeah. And I think that's why you've seen in the last two days a big shift because what changed? He was on campus two days ago. I saw him in person. Yesterday, right? And all of a sudden like that, things change because I think they wanted to size him up, right? And and you can see a kid in school, but a lot of times in school, kids sitting down most of the time. He's wearing his clothes, whatever he wore to school. And, And you can't, but when you go on these school visits, you're not allowed to actually talk to these kids. You're talking to the coach and you're, you know, you may see the kid walking by or something like that, but you can't like sit down and size the kid up when you go on these in-school visits. This is your first chance for Al Washington and Al Golden and Matt Bayless and all the coaches to sit there and say, okay, let's really size this kid up. Absolutely. And when he was on campus, they were able to do that. So, uh, you know, that's kind of, that's kind of what I, uh, what I see, Ryan. So I, I, I like them. If, if Notre Dame decided they want to push for this kid, and I think that they will. We're going to have more on the message board, then I'm I'm fine with that. To me, I look at it like this, Ryan. You and I had a difference of opinion on this, the Smith twins the other day. Everybody knows I yeah. wasn't as high on them as others. You like them, but you also, very clear, these aren't neat gap closures. These aren't needle movers. To me, I'll take a kid like this over them every day of the week because I think this kid has a higher ceiling. That's that's my take, my, my personal stance on that. And I think he's a – I would say that I would say Jake Jacob Smith has a little a little bit better, maybe a little bit better first step because he plays edge. But I think this kid is a much more fluid athlete and, and has a much bigger frame from what you see. Definitely on film. definitely has a much bigger frame. I agree with yeah. that. I agree with that yeah. part. Absolutely. So uh we'll see. But yeah, I I'm I'm high on this kid and I think Notre Dame is now. But I think Ryan, I think your 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 observation was very keen. I want to see what he looks like in person. Yeah. And I think that's one of the holdups that Notre Dame had. And once they came in and saw him, I think that's why we're seeing a little bit of a shift in their emphasis on the defensive line recruiting when it comes to him. So, yeah, we'll see. Very interesting. Very interesting. But a good question. We did have a super a super sticker down here from Nathan Milton. Nathan, thank you uh, very, very much for that. And Nathan had an, a question, a, a recruiting question, right? I'll ask it. You can, you can answer it. I'm asking about Eliza Rushing because I feel like I, if I don't hear his name on a show, he's not a potential commit. Where is Notre Dame with him currently? So Notre Dame has an official visit with Elijah Rushing schedule for June 9th through the 11th, which is a massive opportunity, Nathan. I mean, basically, I, I just put out a piece on Elijah yesterday or the day before. Says a lot of great things about Notre Dame, but I mean, that's typical, right? I mean, at the end of the day, them getting an official visit speaks volumes that there is interest there. And we knew there was interest there in the beginning, a lot of interest, actually. I mean, it was, I think, like two weeks after he got his pot of gold that he had made the trip initially to Notre Dame, right? And then, you know, you just hadn't – he hadn't returned. You hadn't heard a ton. 
And it just kind of seemed like things were going stagnant a little bit, right? And like it just kind of seemed like things were just trending in the opposite direction. Like there were schools like Oregon and Miami and some SEC schools. And, you know, everyone's been recruiting a guy like Elijah Rushing. But them getting an official visit is telling you that they have been diligent with this recruitment, that they've been putting in the work, and that there's still some level of interest on there. So would I, would I predict Elijah Rushing to Notre Dame today? I would not. I would not. But things can always change depending upon how that official visit goes. I mean, they could knock his socks off, and maybe you completely flip the script. So there's obviously some level of interest. Well, I mean, there's high interest on Notre Dame's side. There's obviously some level of interest on Elijah Rushing's side. They're going to get him on campus in an official visit in June, which is great. But I still wouldn't predict Notre Dame today. But we'll see how that visit goes, and things could shift after that. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be um... – Notre Dame doesn't feel that they're going to that they lead for him right now either, but they're yeah. still battling, and that's the thing I like. I I thought they had given up on Elijah Rushing to be honest with you, because I just I never heard his name talking to sources, and then, but the, they were working the whole time, right? I mean, when you interviewed him the other day, I mean, he, it, I got no indication they have ramped things back up. It no. seemed to me that it was the, they were playing the long game and it's starting to work again. Like he was just very high process. on them early, yeah. Then all the rest of college football got on them. They kind of faded. And now it comes down. And when he scheduled his visit to Notre Dame, it was before the whole you can take as many freaking official visits as you want thing got bad. <laughs> yeah. That, so that told you something. It told you that, okay, he's only got five of these at the time, and he's taking one Notre Dame. Yeah. Again, what, what, what do we always say, right? If a kid's willing to take an official visit, you got a puncher's chance. Yep. You do. You do. That's way different than it's all oh, kids need to take unofficials. Well, he's already taken an unofficial, right? He did that too. Did that very early in the process. Very early. Only a couple of weeks after his, his yeah. offer, I believe. Yeah. 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 So it's um, you know, they're in it. Are they are they the leader right now? I don't think so, but I also don't think he necessarily has a leader. Yeah. I think he's still kind of open. Yeah. If he was picking today, do I think he'd pick Notre Dame? No, I think if he picked today, I think he'd probably stay out west somewhere. Yes. But they're they're in the battle. I, yeah. I think. I think they're in the battle. So, got to play the yeah. long game with a guy like Elijah Russia, man. You got to play the yeah. long game with that kid. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Here's a question from David Lowe. David says, How has Drake Bowen looked so far this year? Athletic, powerful, still learning the defense, but aggressive. I mean, he's looked like what you'd expect the top 50 caliber player to look like, honestly. And, and, with while also understanding that that this is a kid that still has a lot to learn about the game fundamentally what i mean by that is he looks athletically and physically like power wise like you'd expect a top 50 athlete to look like that's that's what he looks like to me he's just one of those guys that you watch him run and you're like this guy moves different linebacker used to have like one or two of those now i feel like brian beyond the senior like outside of the senior class like take away the senior class the rest of the linebacking corps just fill with dudes that just look different and run different than what you're used to. I mean, Nolan Ziegler, uh, Drake, Drake Bowen, uh, Jalen Snead, Jaden Osbury. Like these are just athletically different cats than what Notre Dame is used to. Yes. And um, you know, you you'd have like a Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa, you know, a, a guy like that. Now it's like that's about all they have in their younger classes. <laughs> And uh, it's a it's a good thing to have, but yeah, Drake and and among that group, Drake stands out athletically. He he looks the part yes. in that regard, and that's a that's a good sign. So very happy he's, with what we've seen from Drake so far. He's going to be a good player at Notre Dame. He's going to be a very good player at Notre Dame. Yeah. There's no doubt. Got a couple quarterback questions from Katie Keevers, Ryan. Okay. Katie's first question: How long do you guys expect to see Sam and Tyler? Sam. Hartman and Tyler Buckner to stay out there on Saturday. I would imagine the first half. I think we'll see yeah. both of them play almost the entire first half is what I would guess. And then we'll get a chance to see uh, Kenny and Steve in the second half with Dylan in the second half is what I predict. That's that's yeah. not that's not giving you intel, Katie. That's my that's my opinion. That's what I think we'll see. That with four would, quarterbacks, that makes sense. Two on each side, it, it would make mm-hmm. sense. You know. Yeah. yeah. And then here's her second quarterback question. Katie, second question is, how closely will you guys be watching Hartman's footwork under center? Massively. I mean, that's one of the yeah. big things I want to see is, I mean, Katie, you mentioned two different things there, which are important, right? One is the work under center, which is something that he didn't do a ton of at Wake Forest. It's something that's been new. 
had to be at, you know, acclimate to that. And then it's the footwork, you know, like the ability, especially in this offense that we think is going to have such a heavy implementation of RPOs and quick reads and that type of stuff. Like your footwork has to be crisp. It has to be compact. It has to be consistent. Right. So yes, I, I will be keeping close eyes on both layers of that question. There's no doubt. And we've got another one here from Brandon Plensner. Francis, not sure if answered yesterday, but if down the line, Nolan Ziegler and Drake Bowen both earned starting spots, who would you put at Mike and who would you put at Will? Oh, that's an easy one for me, Brian. Go ahead. One. Yeah. Drake Answer. Bowen at Mike for me, Nolan Ziegler at Will for me for two different reasons, Brandon. I mean, because both technically could play Mike. They're both over 230 pounds and they, they're physical, right? Like they both could do it. Drake is a little bit shorter than Nolan. So he's got a little bit more of like a compact frame, which you see typically as a Mike linebacker. And I think Nolan has a little bit more range and comfort in space. So with that ability to play, in he pursuits, was a rover in high school. I exactly. Mean, he and he was a receiver. Like Drake, Drake was a running back that rushed for seventeen hundred yards. He was he was a middle linebacker. I mean, he he is a to me. I've and it's, remember when they were first recruiting people talking about like rover, and I'm like, yeah, but I kind of see him being more of an inside guy. You know, and yeah. I even we even talked earlier. You and I talked earlier about you know I could even see him being a Mike, and then he filled out as a senior. And like, yeah, that kid's a Mike, and that's where I've always liked him. I liked him at Mike, and then Jaden Osbury is sort of a, eventually grown into a Will. Yeah, but Nolan to me looks a little bit like a Mike, but he runs like a Will. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. He 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 can. Nolan Ziegler's a, a arguably him and Jalen Senior the two most explosive athletes they have a linebacker right now. He can cover. He played rover. He can play in space. He can blitz. Uh, you know, he's got to, he's athletically in place. He's got to learn the technical aspects of it. But I, I think that's an easy one for me. Yeah. And they could both play Mike, but I think Nolan playing Mike is playing Mike out of necessity, not because that's his best position. Yep. I think it's out of necessity. And, and I think Drake is playing Mike because I think that's where his game fits best. As he's evolved physically, that's where his game fits best. So that's well, where, and I, then you could have, you could have Jalen Sneed and, and or Jaden Osbury out at Rover yep. and that look as well. When I saw Drake Bowen out in San Antonio, Brian, it was my first time seeing him in person. And I remember he was on the same team as Anthony Hill. That's at Texas. That's the Mike linebacker. And I'm like, Drake's as big as that kid. <laughs> They're the same size. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm just like, Oh, Drake's even bigger than I thought he would be. I knew he got, I knew he gained some weight obviously as a senior, but I mean, he got to San Antonio at like 232 pounds or something like that. I'm like, this kid's 230 plus pounds already. Like he's a big, yeah. he's a big kid, man. Next question is from Brady Jacobs. Surprise, Notre Dame didn't make Jared Smith's Final Four. For people that don't know, Jared Smith is the 2024 defensive end, a part of the Smith Brothers in the state of Connecticut, just for people at Cheshire Academy. So, no, I'm not, because I don't think Notre Dame is an option for them anymore, and we'll just leave it at that, and we'll have more on the, we'll have more on uh, the message board here in a little bit, but yeah. Um, I'm not surprised. I would have been surprised yesterday. I'd been very surprised yesterday yeah. if that would have been the case. But I think what you're seeing is a direct revelation of movement that's going on at Notre Dame, in my opinion. So that's what I think we're seeing. So, yeah, I'm just leave it at that for now. Next question is from Nick McGrail. Nick, thank you for the question. If you were a captain of either blue or gold team, what position group would you want to bring up first and who would those picks be? That's a great question. Yeah. I, uh, I, so if I was a captain of the blue of the blue or the gold team, right, I'd be playing quarterback. You know, I was going to say like, what position would I be playing? I'd be playing linebacker, right? I mean, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. So I'll be honest with you. Yeah. Based on how my college career went, I'm picking O line first. I'm taking Joe Walt because I That's had a fair. terrible offensive line in college. That's fair. And so, yeah, okay, that means you're going to get the best playmaker. But what do we keep talking about all spring? Man, they're loaded at wide receiver. They got all types of wide receivers, you know. And uh, I'd say, yeah, give give me number seventy six, blocking my blind side. That'd be my, that'd be where I would start. I'd start there, and he'd be my first pick. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think it really depends on who the position, what position you're playing, right? So you're playing quarterback, so you're going to get your blindside protector. Makes total sense. If I'm playing linebacker and I'm the captain for whatever reason, I'm picking, I guess I'm picking Sam Hartman, I guess, right? I need to get my quarterback. I need to get my quarterback to lead my offense. I'm going to lead the defense. Sam Hartman, pick the quarterback position first. I guess that's where I would go. Yeah. 
I thought you were going to like give some nose tackle or some D line that you're going to oh, protect that'd be you fun. a little bit. That'd yeah. be fun. Jason O'Day, come on down. Yeah, yeah, yeah there you go. There you go. But yeah, that <laughs> that'd be my because like if I say, hey, okay, give me the starting. Like if you were to say, hey, Brian, would you rather have the starting offensive line and nothing but the freshman receivers, the freshman and the walk-ons of receivers, or you can get yeah. the starting too deep at receiver, but you get the number two offensive line. I'm taking the number one offensive line easy because the freshman receivers and a couple of the walk-ons are pretty good football players in the spring yeah. game. So yeah, that's what I'm going with. And we may not win, but I know that I'm not going to be completely broken like Phil Dracovic was playing behind the number two offensive line a couple of years ago, where he was getting hit in the face every single time he dropped back to throw. Hard pass on that action. This is ugly enough already, man. I can't have a beat in at a spring game. You know what I'm saying? So Angela doesn't agree. Yeah. Angela doesn't agree. Yeah, she's biased. She needs glasses. <laughs> All right. <laughs> she needs glasses. Let's move That's on. Funny. That's funny. Brandon Plesner says, did Cole Mullins end up visiting? He did. Where does the staff see him on the Viper board, or do they see him projecting as a strong side defensive end at the next level? We kind of answered this a little bit, Brandon, but yeah. So he visited the 19th, which was yesterday, which was Wednesday. Was his first time on campus on the unofficial visits. They see him as a Viper that could potentially grow into a strong side defensive end. He's 6'4", listed 240 pounds. So he definitely has the Viper body right now, but I would actually be curious to see what his body is going to look like in two to three years in a strength and conditioning program. Cause I think he also plays like a strong side defensive end. He's a very powerful kid. So they think he's a Viper that could grow into a strong side defensive end. If he ends up with Notre Dame and he did make the visit to the South end, I was able to talk to him a, a bit last night and this morning, everything sounded like it was good, went very well. And I will have something much more in depth about that probably in the near future for you. So, yeah. Um, I, I think that for the purposes of putting this class together right now, I think Notre Dame views him as a viper. But that positional flexibility is important to understand because I don't think it 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 does not negate them from continuing to recruit the other vipers like Malachi Williams and Elijah Rushing. Yeah. Because I think Elijah also because I also think too is is I do believe that Notre Dame is is gonna be doing things in the future that maybe you don't need a third defensive tackle on the field. Like we've seen a big end in recent years. Sure. And that's ultimately what Notre Dame has basically been personnel wise is there's three interior defensive linemen in your starting lineup. I mean, yep. If you think about it, since 2021, Myron Tungvalo was a converted nose guard, yep. you know, and then last year, Riley Mills is, is going to be your starting defensive tackle this year. And you initially <laughs> recruited him to be a three technique. So I think that that's, that's to me a, a part of it as well. Yeah. So, yeah. Got some more. We've got a lot of good questions here today. Yep. The next question is from We Are Not Marshall. What have you seen as improvement from Tyler Buckner's mechanics? What does he need to keep working on? How do you keep a quarterback from going back to the natural motion versus what is being taught? Well, I think I'm going to go in reverse order here is you always got to teach a quarterback to go with his natural motion. And, and that's something I'll tell you what, th- this is something that I think has really helped Tyler Buckner this spring is and this happened before he got to Notre Dame. So this isn't something y'all can blame on Tommy Reese. Remember, he had a quarterback's coach in high school that messed with his throwing motion, and it just jacked him up. And I think it took him a little time to get comfortable with what he was doing. And I think the thing that that Gino Gadulli has emphasized is like, I don't, I'm not a. I'm, he's he said this, and it was like warm my heart. I just wanted to go up and hug him, but I thought that'd be inappropriate. He might punch me in the face because he doesn't know me. But he started talking in this first press conference about how I don't like messing with kids' throwing motions as long as it's works for him and i and i'm such a believer in that and said so, well steve spur did it steve Spurs a, a, a quarterback genius he can get away with it no one else no, most others can't and i think tyler's just kind of finally getting a little bit more comfortable with his throwing motion with whatever he's doing and so i i, I think you've let him let him be natural and then you harness that natural throwing motion and i think the biggest thing for tyler that i've seen from him this spring is is a couple things number one is his footwork is a lot more efficient He's a lot yeah. more in rhythm in the pocket. He's not so herky-jerky. He doesn't rush his feet. Again, there's a difference between speeding up and rushing. Speeding up is a is a is something you teach. Hey, I got to quickly, bam, 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 one, two, get that ball out. And then there's, oh, crap, it's coming. I got to get the ball out, right? And Tyler was sort of the, oh, crap, it's coming. I got to get the ball out. It's that backyard street ball type of mentality that he had. Not an, oh, crap, because that makes him like he's afraid. That's, that's not what I mean. But like, oh, here it comes. Let me get this out. I guess yeah. maybe a better way to say it. 
where now it's more of a okay, it's coming, bam, bam, bam. Here's your quick, you know, here's your footwork. I got, a, I got a one-two plant throw, and I think those are things that Tyler's got a little more comfortable with. Is his footwork is is taking him. I, I've, I've said this before. If you if you're someone who is a military person and you, you, you're familiar to all with you know the different aspects of what make what makes a missile work, right? The targeting system is very important, right? And then there's the delivery method. You gotta know how to. I gotta know how to. You know how to deliver it, right? So whether it's coming off a submarine, a cruiser, a destroyer, it's coming from land, whatever. There's the delivering system. Well, the delivery system is your arm. That's how it's coming out. I'm I'm delivering with my arm. But the targeting system is is the most important thing. Is you can just launch a missile. Oh, we know how to we know how to deliver it, but I don't have a freaking clue where it's going. What's the targeting system? The targeting system is your feet and your core, your lower body. That's your targeting system. And if your lower body's a hot mess, you're not going to be an overly accurate quarterback unless you're just a, a freak. I mean, like Brett Favre could have funky feet and get the ball out. Pat Mahomes can – his feet can be all over the place and, and he's still accurate throwing the football. Those guys are rare. And I think Tyler's learning to to allow his feet to take him where he's going to go. And now he also has a unique ability around where he doesn't have to set his feet perfectly every time, but his feet can't be hurried, and his feet right. would get hurried. And then that would jack up – the delivery system and he would drive the ball into the ground or sail it or whatever. Cause his feet would be all jacked up. And so I think the fact, the fact that his footwork is becoming more efficient, more clean, more consistent is also then allowing him to have a much more consistent release point. And that's allowed him to be a lot more accurate quarterback. So I think those are the things mechanically that we've seen from Tyler this spring that allow him to, to have the good Tyler, the good version of Tyler, which we have seen start to be more prominent snap after snap after snap. And it's a mechanical thing. And it's always been a mechanical thing. Tyler's a really smart quarterback. I had somebody in the chat the other day say, here's another read of defense. Right, there's a lot of things you can say about Tyler Buckner, but that is not one of them. And he's a very smart player, knows how to read a defense, understands timing. It's just he would get in trouble because his body wouldn't always be ready to get the ball where it needed to go to. And that's right. the, that was the problem, and that's what he's getting better at. That's been the biggest change for Tyler this spring. And we have another one, another great question from Katie Keevers, who says, in turn, does Coach Freeman feel more comfortable this year, not only because it's his second season, but because he feels all the coaches and players are bought in this season? I mean, this was in this was in reference to the conversation we had earlier about how the, the buy-in from the players, it's obvious. Yeah. I, I Katie, I think your point is good. You ha- it has to be reciprocal if it's going to work. If the players don't feel like Marcus Freeman trusts them. They're not going to trust him. And that was something that was was problematic during the Brian Kelly era is the reason the players were so it's about us is because they had to be because they didn't feel the head coach trusted them. And when things went wrong, they were always to blame. It was always them. Oh, well, you know, this, this, this. And the, Brian Kelly was the master, and he did it this year at LSU as well. He's the master at saying we, as in coaches, making, but but then it ended up coming away. Like, yeah, he's clearly blaming the players there. You know what I mean? Um, we got to do a better job of making sure our quarterback doesn't, th- you know, do something stupid. When, when in reality, he just threw the quarterback out of the bus. You know, <laughs> like, told the quarterback to stop doing yeah, something stupid. I can't believe <laughs> right. Sam Musford doesn't know how to snap in the middle of a hurricane. Like that's just you know Ooh. so bad. And you know th- these guys realize that Coach Freeman does believe in them, does have faith in them, and I think his confidence comes from. It, like, remember when the whole Andy Ludwig thing went down. The next article I wrote that next day was Marcus Freeman needs to change course when it comes to these hiring process because he hadn't hired he hadn't hired a quarterbacks coach he hadn't hired an OC he hadn't hired a new offensive line coach yet yeah. he, I mean there there were moves that had to get made right yeah. and I said he needs to rethink this whole strategy I love Andy Lublick that should have been the hire but now that this whole thing went down the way that it did and everything that I know that's been happening behind the scenes he needs to reshift his focus. And the rest of his hires need to be people he knows and then he, that he knows are going to buy in because he's got to make sure that all I can control for certain is what's inside this building right here. That's all I can control for certain. I can't control if the AD is going to do this or the associate AD who thinks he's a, you know, some great football wizard is doing this or whatever the case may be, or the school's not giving us this or the admissions isn't doing this. I can't control any of that. But what I control is what's going on inside these walls. And I'm going to darn sure make make very, very clear that the cats that I'm bringing into this building 
are going to have my back and do what I want in this football program. And the players see that. And when you've got assistant coaches that are say whatever you want about Al Washington, and he, he did not do a good job last year as a coach or as a recruiter. But you know what, though? Marcus Freeman showed a level of faith in him saying, hey, you're not going anywhere. You need to do a better job. We're all going to need to do a better job. And so what's Al Washington doing? What's the response? We're, we're seeing Al Washington do a better job. It's the same thing with the play. Hey, this guy had my back when everybody's calling for me to be fired, right? I'm going to go out there and show him he made the right decision. And, and he's doing a very good job this spring. I had a very good update on him on, on the intel piece. And that bleeds down to the players, right? And, and, and then I think that there were some things that happened this offseason or late in the season where he showed the players that I got Coach Washington's back. So what that did was, and, and I, sometimes I wish it maybe would have happened sooner, what that did was I think that helped create some buy-in from the D line that we maybe didn't see last year. And we've talked about some of the Ryan, we talked about going back to last September that there's some things going on that we don't see publicly behind the scenes that there's some, there's some leadership issues on this football team, right? Well, most of those that we knew of are gone now. And, and the, the roster is now almost half built of guys that Marcus Freeman bought in or has primarily coached only coach. Cause there's some kids assigned as part of the 21 class that he didn't recruit, but have only ever been coached by him on defense. And so you're seeing more of that buy-in, but that also comes from, I, I now know I can be myself because I got guys that are going to have my back and, and, and that are, that I'm going to trust and that we're going to, that they, there's a greater understanding in this program of what I want now that we're in year two. And there's also some lessons that coaches learned that have made him a better coach. And I think people have seen that. But I think the fact that he was willing to fall on the sword last year, and and honestly, rightfully so, with that football team, and say, "Hey, we we lost this game because of me," yeah. and so I'm going to make changes. I'm going to do it different. Those kids saw that after Stanford, they did. He didn't blame them. He didn't, you know. And I'm not talking about what he said publicly. I'm talking about what what I have been told, going back to then. Ryan, you and I've talked about this before. The way that he conducted himself and the and the changes he made after the blue goal after they lost to Stanford made very clear to the players that he he looks at it as his responsibility not blaming us I think they were ready to just for him to just go off and bench everybody and you know do all this because that's what they were used to you know and he didn't and I think that created some buy-in and that's why you saw that team come out of that loss a completely different football team they stumbled yeah. their toe a little bit on defense against UNLV but that first half on offense that next week against UNLV was really impressive. And then they go out and whoop a Syracuse team that was, what, 6-1 and one at the time or something like that, right, ranked in the top 25. And they yep. went out there and they just kept, they just kept playing well. And, and I, so I think there's a lot of buy-in. And it's got – the point is, Katie, I know I'm going on along about this. I'm sorry, but it's just because I'm trying to make the point that this is all interconnected. It's all circular, right? It, it, you can't have one without the other to get to where you need to get to at Notre Dame. And I think that that's another reason I have such great optimism about this team over the next couple of years is because I do think there's a level of faith that goes both ways that wasn't always there in the past. And I, and I think we're seeing, we're starting to see a little bit the benefits of it. Now it's got to say, okay, but can you teach these kids how to tackle and block and play fundamentally sound football? That's going to be the next step. But that's one of the things I'm encouraged by because I, I do think it's reciprocal because I don't think we're seeing the buy-in from the players if they didn't think that 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 he was bought into them and feeling comfortable with them because of who he has surrounded himself with. Because, look, Ryan, as I said, the coaching staff has Marcus Freeman's DNA all through it now, all through it. Yeah. And the, the roster has Marcus Freeman's DNA all through it now, whether it be – I mean, half the roster are guys he recruited. There's like, what, 40-some kids in the roster that are from the 23 and 22 classes that he was in charge of recruiting. And then there's all the kids in the 2021 class, right? And all of those kids, you know, on defense that you look at, you know, all of those kids are are guys that have only been coached by him. And, you know, look, let's be honest, there's some of them who aren't necessarily bought in. and But, you know, I don't think they're going to be on the roster a whole lot longer if we're going to be honest with you. And a lot of those kids have already been kind of cycled out. If you look at that 21 defensive class, a lot of those kids are cycled out. But we're starting to see Gabriel Rubio, Jason Onye, really starting to kind of come through. Chance Tucker really starting to come through. Because if you look at the 21 class, Ryan, most of the guys on defense are gone or will be gone soon. 
and it's not a whole lot left. You've got Gabriel Rubio, Jason Onye, Ryan Barnes, Chance Tucker. That's it. The rest of the roster is like a couple fifth years and seniors and then a bunch of freshmen and sophomores. And those guys are coming here to play for Marcus Freeman. And yeah. they're bought in. And there's a, and here's the last thing. Here's the other thing that helps too, Katie. They know, the veterans know, this guy is different. This guy, Bubakar, may not know what the heck he's doing, but when he walks into a room and I walk into a room, people are going to know he's a football player at Notre Dame. They may not know that I am because of the way he looks. You know, yeah. Jalen Sneed and Nolan Ziegler walk into a room. They look different. Jack Kaiser and J.D. Bertrand walk into a room. They look like a couple kids that are just students at Notre Dame. Now, they're good football players. Don't get me wrong. I'm talking about just certain guys walk onto the field, Ryan, and you just look and say, that guy looks like he's a student athlete at Notre Dame. Other guys yeah. are like, oh, you play football? I mean, let, let's be real. I think Jack uh, – how often have I praised Jack Kaiser and J.D. Bertrand this spring? I, all yeah. spring. I'm getting in arguments with people about how these are good football players. So some people are going to get offended by this. I don't care. But this isn't about them being football players. But I'm sorry. I've been near – I've been next to Jack Kaiser and J.D. Bertrand. If you didn't know that they were football players in Notre Dame and they were just walked into a – you'd think, oh, just two six-foot students that go to Notre Dame. That's it. Right? That, no that worked Ziggler out a little in, bit. Yeah. Yeah. Nolan Ziegler <laughs> walks into the room. And Drake Bowen walks into the room, and you're like, those guys look like football players. You know, Jalen Sneed walks into the room. He looks like a football player, right? I mean, Howard Cross walks into a room. He looks like some kid that just goes to school in Notre Dame. He's six foot one, 265 pounds. Jason Onye walks into the room. Gabriel Rubio walks into the room. Josh Burnham walks in the room. You're like, I bet you that dude plays football. Yeah. You know, and, and that's the thing. The point being is these older kids know, like, these are Freeman's recruits. If I don't, if I don't buy in, they're not gonna have any problem putting those kids in there, and I think that's a good place to be. And you know, it's just one of the many reasons that I think this this environment, this culture, is really bought in because they're like, hey, look, coach, you lead us, we'll follow you. And then he has in turn said, okay, yes, but part of following me is you've got to lead. And, and, and I've said this before, and and I hate, mil- I hate, I really hate uh, Ryan, uh, imprecise military analysis you know, comparisons for football because it's like dude that's war that's life and i mean but i i think where i like this where i like the comparisons is the is the the, the aspect of of the, the the team building right the unity the brotherhood the 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 delegation of duty you you know marcus freeman's the general and the coaches are you know whatever that next level live but but if you go back and you look at the fighting units Yes, there's the generals and the you know the higher ups and the guys with all the stars, but when they're in combat, it's it's sergeant, it's it's whoever you know. People, y'all can tell me who those guys are, but it's it's the team leaders. The team leaders aren't coaches. Look at SEAL teams, the guys that are giving directions. It's not when they're out in combat. It's not the guy in the back. It's the team leader, but he's one of them. He's in the trenches with them fighting. So it's not. You know, Jared Parker at the end of the day, it's not Al Golden, it's not Marcus Freeman. There's got to be a level of the accountability has to also include JD Bertrand and Joe Alt and Zeke Carell and yeah. you know Cam Hart and Xavier Watts. And there's got to be that as well. And he's doing a good job of really getting them to understand. It's like you've got to have the buy-in. If my captains don't have the buy-in, if my captains aren't leading, then they they're not gonna listen to me. Yeah. And I think being able to build that type of thing is where, yes, I'm in charge. We're doing it my way, but here's what my way is. I need you. This is about you. And I think it's, it's, it's worked so far. Now we've got to see him go out and turn it into winning football games. Right. But I think from that standpoint, I think it's a, it's a good place to be. Okay. All right. Let's get to some more questions uh, here. We've got one uh, from uh, let's go. Johnny from the boot. Johnny from the boots. Do you see a lot of confusion among the wide receivers or others since they may be forced to play out of their position? If the wide receivers do practice all positions, do you see any fresh play more than Tobias Merriweather did? Well, the interesting thing is the freshmen are going to actually have a harder time playing more than Tobias did because the depth chart's in such a better shape yes. than was a year ago for Tobias, a right? Completely different situation. Right. And yeah. so, you know, they may not play more. Well, same old, same old. Well, not really. <laughs> you know, because it's 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 a little bit of a different situation. But I'll say one thing that I do like about this staff, Ryan. Yeah, uh, 
the, the the way that they and this is the, the last staff did this too. I just think that the, the volume there's differences, but here's one thing the previous staff did on offense that I that this new staff does that I think is smart. And and I, I think you have to coach it this way as a as a receivers coach, and I taught it this way as well. You don't teach them this is the, the you're an X, this is what the X does. You're a Z, this is what the Z does. You have to teach them the whole concept. And and the reason why is because if we've used smash as a, as an as a route before, right? Yeah. Well, if I'm if I'm if I'm the running the smash route and you're running the corner, and I don't understand all of your rules rules for a corner and how you're going to break off your route depending on how the safety is playing, then I may say, well, I, I got to get open, and I got to work this route deeper, or I stopped and this guy's on me, so I got to turn up. No, if you turn up, you're taking that defender to the corner route, right? But if you don't understand what's happening around you, then you're not going to be able to do your job effectively. And so they teach it as a concept. So a route is, because this was asked on the board, and it's actually a very good question that I never thought to answer, but I'll do it now. A route is an individual responsibility for a specific receiver. My route is a post. It is a post. The concept is the entire package working together. It's the symphony, right? So like if I'm a conductor, I'm, I'm, okay, I'm today I'm working with the flutes. We're getting your part down and work at the bass. I'm getting your part. But when it's all together, they all got the timing. They all got to be on the same page, right? If you've got some bass guy that just is always off, you're you're going to notice it. It's going to stand out. Like this guy's, this guy's rhythm sucks. This guy's off, right? I mean, I was in band in middle school, so I, I I'm speaking from a little bit of experience. But you've they've all got to know it. So if you know the whole concept, in a pinch, I can say, hey, Jaden, I need you to be a W. Because he knows the concept. He knows the responsibility. He may not have all the precision route running down pat, but he knows the concept. I know what the W does on every play because I need to. Because otherwise, if I'm running this route and he's running a deep end and I'm running a post, I know I can't stop and, and, and sit in the middle because I'm going to get right behind that end cut. I got to keep that sucker going and run that coverage off because now I know I'm opening that guy up. And so I think that's why uh, it's a lot easier for receivers, in my opinion, to, to do that because it's a little different for on defense, a linebacker, for example, Ryan, like there's a level of working together, uh, but linebackers technically actually have to work more together with the defensive line than they do the other linebackers. There's yeah. a sense of, I got to trust you to do your job, but if you don't do your job, it doesn't necessarily mean I can't do mine. Right. I, I can't, receiver, I can't, I can't fill the right gap if you're in the wrong gap. Right. Like, right. But with the defensive yeah. line, there's gotta be yeah. a dude, I need you, you and I gotta be on the same page. Right. And so, yeah. Uh, I, I think that's why it's a, it's a little a little easier to have receivers doing different things, and why you can adjust your alignments and you know do do different formations and stuff, and still have your your guys knowing what they need to do, even if they're not right. necessarily changing positions. You may do things. Hey, uh, we're going to keep the same personnel, but on this particular play, I want Tyree outside, and I want him off the ball, and I want Tobias in the on the inside because we're running a concept where I want to get that bigger bodied guy up the seam. Well, there's a couple different ways to do that. One is to just invert them pre-snap and have to buy some immediately attack the scene. The other way to do that, I was watching the uh, I was watching the um, Alabama Tennessee game last night, and what Tennessee kept killing Alabama with is they kept attacking the seams with their outside receiver. They just kept taking their outside receiver and they were just inverting it to snap. And Alabama, because what they were doing was the way that Alabama was covering. This, every time they would do that invert, then the safety would take the outside receiver and the corner would jump the, the ends. So they were just getting Jalen Hyatt matched up against the safety the whole game. Same routes, seams and posts, over and over. There's nothing Alabama could do about it because Pete Golding wouldn't adjust. Right. So there's different ways to get that there. You Some of it may just be, hey, we want to attack this. Notre Dame did that against uh, Stanford. Hey, we want to attack their safety with Tobias Merriweather. So let's go twins and get to bias on the inside. Whereas if we're in a, if we're in a, a, a trio look or a, a, like a duo look where I got a boundary here and a Z in the game and 10, 11 or 20 personnel, then Tobias is outside. But out of 12 personnel, I'm getting Tobias on the inside because I want him to run that post, even though he's not changing positions. It's just the nature of this particular alignment is going to get him in the matchup that we like. So receivers have to be able to know all that. And I think they're doing yeah. a good job of teaching that. The reason the past staff, it was more complicated for the previous staff is not because they taught it this way. They did. 
They just had too much. There's too much yeah. volume. I can't learn every route of all those concepts. I got to have a foundation to build on. And that's the, that's the difference, right? For me. Well, and I, I think also it's trusted also who's doing the teaching, right? Is like a big thing. You know, I mean, it's, I know it sounds, it sounds kind of ludicrous because Chancey Stuckey's only going to his third year of coaching college ball, right? As far as coaching a position, but he's getting my trust in a very short amount of time, man. Like I'm, I'm just, I'm very comfortable with expecting these wide receivers to be in a proper position and not be overloaded as much because I trust him to teach them correctly, right? Not put too much on their plate, to put enough context into every route, to put enough context into the technical side of what they're doing to, for them to really develop your understanding. I think that's the biggest thing for me too, Brian, is like, don't just tell me what to do. Tell me why I'm doing it, right? Like, why am I doing this? I think that full context, and we know this, right? Jaden Greathouse, Braylon James, Rico Flores Jr., they're all really sharp kids. They are. So I think that you understand that they can handle a lot, but you also have to have the balance of understanding. I still can't overload them, though, because they're freshmen. So I think it's the people teaching them also that has me very confident that they are going to be put in a proper position because they have shortly shown me that they are capable of doing that type of thing. A couple things I want to get down here to Ryan that uh, yep. I, I want to address. I, I just, some of this stuff uh, frustrates me a little bit. I, I want to read okay. this question right here. So okay. Let's bring that up. From Christopher Walter said, I remember Drake May mentioning in a press conference that Notre Dame didn't pursue him because Notre Dame was locked in with Tyler Buckner. Am I the only one who thinks Reese is an awful quarterback talent evaluator? Okay. So first of all, Raise your hand if you knew who Drake May was in high school and you thought he was a better player than Tyler Buckner. Because if that's unless you're that person, I, I don't really want to hear it from you. It's very easy to look back and say, "Well, he should yeah. have known that this was going to happen." Right? Here's the reality, folks, and I've tried to say this a million times, and I'll say it again. Tyler Buckner was a phenomenal high school quarterback. Yeah, and if not for some circumstances out of his control, would be further ahead of where he is now. His senior year got wiped out because of COVID because he's out in California. He had a, a season-ending injury as a sophomore. He lacked experience. But Tyler Buckner is a very talented quarterback. And that's just the reality of it. It's great that Drake Mays turned out. Drake May ended up being really highly ranked. But when Notre Dame took Tyler Buckner's commitment, he was one of the two or three best quarterbacks in that class. And he still finishes a top 100 player despite all the issues with the injury and 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 the fact that he missed his senior year. So I'm sorry. The, and here's the other thing. We're all talking about how good the quarterback room is right now and how loaded it is. Every single guy in the quarterback room right now, Buckner, Hartman, Minchie, Angeli, all evaluated and recruited by Tommy Reese. Does that mean I agree with every evaluation he made? Heck no, especially the 22 class. I had some big disagreements with him. That's going to happen. I have some disagreements with, with Chancey Stuckey on a couple receivers. But overall, I think he's doing. You're going. You're allowed to have those kind of things. So, uh, I, I, I just, I really hate the hindsight 2020 stuff. If you were someone who believed that Drake May is a guy that they should have taken in that class at the time, more power to you. Good call. Good call. But unless you were, I don't really want to hear a lot from you on that. To be completely honest with you, and and again, Tyler Buckner's story has yet to be written. Okay, and I'll say this also. I'm pretty sure that Tyler Buckner has more bowl game wins than Drake May does. Last I checked, Drake May's team got their brains beat in by Notre Dame when they played each other last year with Drew Pine at quarterback. So uh, I think, how about we let the story get written first?
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.